Hello, and welcome to Dialogue in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology Practice Management Series, May 2021. I am Dr. Brad Glick, and I'm a board-certified dermatologist and clinical assistant professor of dermatology at the FIU Herbert Wertheim College of Medicine in Miami, Florida. I am your host. Today's topic is how the new E&M codes will impact our day-to-day operations. By now, most dermatology practices have successfully implemented and are using the 2021 coding guidelines for documenting and reporting appropriate levels of office visit and other outpatient evaluation and management services. During our discussion today, we will address the impact of the E&M guidelines and our daily operations. Let us quickly review what has changed. The American Medical Association, in collaboration with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, specialty societies, and other health professionals, worked to simplify and streamline the coding and documentation for the office and other outpatient and evaluation management office visits, making them clinically relevant and reduce excessive administrative burdens. Reducing documentation overload was anticipated to provide physicians with more time to take care of their patients presenting problem, not paperwork. This was the fundamental purpose for overhauling the E&M office visit guidelines. The office and other outpatient E&M CPT codes were also revised to promote payer consistency when audits were performed and to promote coding consistency. The codes also promote higher level activities of medical decision making. I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Molly McCormick. Dr. McCormick is the Director of Micrographic Surgery and Cutaneous Oncology for Solution Health in Southern New Hampshire. She has represented dermatology as a member of the AMA RVS RUC Committee for over a decade. At the RUC, she also sits on the Practice Expense Subcommittee. She has served on numerous AAD committees and is currently the Deputy Chair of the Patient Access and Payer Relations Committee and was recently elected to the board of the American College of Mohs Surgery. Dr. McCormick, welcome. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate the invitation and I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. Well, we have a good number of questions here. So I wanna start with this first one, which is what are the major changes to the office or other outpatient E&M guidelines? Why don't you speak to that? Well, the biggest change is that billing is now completely based on either medical decision-making or time. Time has also been redefined and now refers to the total time spent providing care on the date of the encounter by the dermatologist, including non-face-to-face services. An appropriate history and physical examination are of course still required for medical and legal reasons, but we are no longer counting bullet points, which is likely a relief to many. Of note, while CMS denied any intent of payment redistribution as part of the coding redesign, With the new coding system, there has been an effect of shifting payment from procedural to cognitive services. On a positive note, the new coding system does allow for appropriate valuation of complex medical dermatology, an area that I believe was previously undervalued. Understood. With that said, what has been the impact of these EMN changes on our day-to-day operations or our daily operations? Tell me. Change is never easy, and initially the new coding paradigm appeared intimidating to many. 
Now that we are a few months in, it seems that most of us have adjusted without too much difficulty. While some areas of ambiguity remain, in many ways the new coding rules seem to align more comfortably with the current practice of medicine. One of the benefits we should see is reduced documentation. Patient history, review of systems, physical exams should be performed and documented based only on what is medically necessary and appropriate for the presenting problem. This change alone is expected to save providers two minutes of visit or a potential average of 45 minutes or even more per day, according to an independent study of administrative burden reduction initiatives by CMS. The hope is that over time, the extraneous non-essential information that has often become a sad reality of electronic medical records will begin to subside. Cut and paste should become less and less a part of documentation with the new rules requiring review and discussion only for pertinent tests, lab results, and reference. That sounds great. And so with this said, how will CMS and other payers interpret the medical decision-making criteria? And that's from the standpoint of the documentation and the consistency of such documentation. So the MDM criteria were revised to make them more clinically relevant to the physician. This revision is expected to reduce variation among Medicare contractors and private payers by removing ambiguous and irrelevant terminology. It is anticipated that uniformity and MDM criteria will provide for greater consistency in claim review and adjudication. At the same time, the guidance provided so far leaves much up to the discretion of the physician, and it is possible that guidelines will evolve as the coding framework matures. You know, I've seen that this has benefited me so far. So I'm getting used to it. Just as you said before, I'm getting used to this, but I think it's still for me in clinical practice, a work in progress. All that said, discuss the interpretation and application of medical decision-making terminology and definitions. One example of this pertains to risk assessment found in column three of the MDM table. Risk is now defined as being based upon the usual behavior and thought processes of a physician in the same specialty to determine low, medium, and high risk patient management. Physician judgment, not global period, is also now used to divide major and minor surgical procedures when you're determining your level of medical decision making. Another example is the division between acute and chronic conditions. Chronic is defined as lasting a year or longer, Acute is defined as short-term. So what about conditions that last 10 months? <laughs> Where do they fit? What if a patient has two acute, uncomplicated issues? Should that be a level three or a level four in terms of problem complexity? The table doesn't address this directly. This is where discretion comes into play. So why don't you discuss interpretation and application of MDM terminologies and definitions? I think at this point, we all recognize that the MDM guidance does not always cleanly align with typical dermatologic disease or the typical derm patient. That being said, I do think that most dermatologists are becoming more comfortable applying the new definitions to daily practice. And some of us are even beginning to incorporate key words into documentation to support the level of MDM chosen. Some of the phrasing is intuitive, other areas less so. For example, stable for the purses of MDM now indicates that the patient is at treatment goal. This means that if a patient with atopic dermatitis is unchanged in disease severity from their last encounter, but has not yet reached the desired endpoint, they would qualify for a moderate level of problem complexity. 
Another feature to note is that risk of complications and morbidity now refers to the risk associated with patient management decisions, not simply the risk of the condition itself. The risk category has also been expanded, allowing us to account for social determinants of health that may impact disease outcomes, things like lack of housing, lack of transportation, food insecurity. Most importantly, what is valued in the new system is appropriate consideration. You don't necessarily have to order a medication, a test, or schedule a procedure to get credit for it. If you have a long discussion with a patient regarding the risks and benefits of a sentinel node examination, you code the same level of MDM regardless of whether or not the patient decides to move forward with the procedure. Explain what reflects or represents appropriate E&M levels. The level of service reported should reflect the complexity of the care provided. So using the MDM table provided by the AMA, and I have it posted above my desk, and I would recommend that you do the same, you need to meet the criteria for two of the three columns to account for your visit level. For example, as previously mentioned, a chronic illness with progression will qualify as a moderate level under the number and complexity of problems addressed element. If during the encounter prescription drug management is performed, this qualifies as a moderate level under the risk of patient management element or column three. Overall, this would be appropriately reported as a 992X4. Similarly, a patient with a history of a moderate risk malignant neoplasm who undergoes an appropriate skin and node examination at follow-up, someone who doesn't require active intervention, but you do discuss sun exposure habits and use of over-the-counter sunscreen, these can now be reported with a 992X3 instead of a 992X2 that was typically reported prior to these changes. So now that we've talked about different levels, we've discussed MDM terminology, what about discussing the current criteria and recommendations for billing based on time? So dermatologists can report the office encounter based on total time spent addressing the patient problem on the date of service. Times have been redefined and they now include all of the physician work done on that date of service. This includes chart review, your actual patient encounter, of course, time spent performing documentation, completing forms, communicating with other providers or family, ordering tests, and so on. It's important to note that this time refers to physician services only. Clinical staff time should not be counted as here as it's considered part of practice expense. So if I get on the phone with a clinician before I go into the room to see a patient and some data is faxed to me, lab work and what have you, is that counting towards my in-room time with the patient? That counts to your total time and the time that you are counting when you are summing up your tally to choose your visit level. Yes. Sounds great. So it sounds like sometimes using time will be helpful, but it's not really going to be all of the time that we're going to be uh, utilizing uh, this uh, ENM approach. I don't think any dermatologists will be billing all of their patients based on time, but time can be a very good option for the very complex patient that comes in with a lot of data, requires conversations with multiple individuals to coordinate care. That work was previously done and often uncompensated for. This allows us to capture the time spent and be reimbursed for the time spent during those activities. So Dr. McCormick, as we close, let's talk about financial impact, maybe some comments on audits per future. 
So you ask about the financial impact, and it seems like a simple question, but the answer is truly a bit complicated. As we all know, 2020 was a year like no other. Fortunately, as part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, a number of good things happened, including a 3.75% increase in Medicare fee schedule payment, suspension of a sequestration adjustment, delay of an add-on code designed by CMS that would further shift payment to specialties providing primary or ongoing care services. With these changes, dermatology as a whole may see a bump of about 5% associated with increased E&M reimbursement. Procedurally focused practices aren't going to fare quite as well. If higher level E&M services increase across the board, this means that there will be additional downward pressure on the conversion factor in years to come, which is never a good thing. And it's going to be very interesting to see the data as it comes in and we learn how the new coding framework is functioning across the full house of medicine. Well, Dr. McCormick, uh, really appreciate your help. It's been really enlightening. I think it's been very important for our listeners. I want to remind everyone that more information and resources to help you with correct coding for E&M services can be found on the AAD Practice Management website under Coding Resources. We hope this information was helpful this evening, and thank you so much for your attention. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.